Thank you for listening to our Celebration Sermon Podcast. Celebration is a worshiping community within Heart of White Ministries. We gather at 9 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Heart of White Campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Celebration community in Heart of White Ministries, please visit heartofwhite.com. This morning, uh, we are continuing in a series Um, I think that's going to be brought up Um, on Act Like Jesus, where we have been talking about uh, core practices, spiritual practices in our faith. Something that I've been talking to our watershed community uh, about and in throughout this series is that these practices of our faith help us live in, with, and for Jesus. Right? These are not uh, a 10-point checklist to make God happy with us. If that's how we look at spiritual disciplines, if that's how we look at our, our faith practices as Christians, we're going to miss the grace that's available to us. We're going to miss the relationship with Jesus that these practices were intended to be for us. Right? In these practices of, of reading our scriptures, of corporate worship together, of prayer. Uh, today, we're going to talk about the fact that we are called to biblical community, to be a part of the church, that in these moments together, we have an opportunity to not only know God through Christ in a much deeper way, we get to be transformed by him and then empowered to live in a Christly way in this world. Uh, Peter, I mean, you so beautifully prayed this morning. Right, we're called to biblical community. As I think about biblical community this morning, I want you just to pause for a moment and think about one or two of the best moments you've ever had with the church. I know that's not the popular thing to do anymore, right? Like, we just think about all, and and trust me, it's easy to think about the bad things, right? Like, our minds go there. I want you to think about one or two of the best moments that just come to mind And what is it about those moments? I took some time this week just to actually think through the multiple church communities I've been a part of, and I was like, wow, this got to be a sermon in itself. So then I just said, you know what, how about Hardawike? Let me come to some of the best moments I've had with Hardawike, because my relationship with you all goes back 20 years. And for 17 of those, you have actually had a hand in making sure there was a roof over my head. Can you believe that? I've, I've been able to serve Heart Alike twice for a total of nine years, but people forget my wife also served for 10, and now she's back. So of 20 years of relationship, Heart Alike has had a hand in making sure there's been food on my table, that I've been free to serve God in ways that he called me. You put up with me as a seminary student. You still put up with my sense of humor today. Right? We've endured together. I think about my children who were baptized in the anchor building. I remember being part of it. And now this past week, my daughter and my son both are thinking about making profession of faith. And to have been a part of a community that they want to be a part of, 
Right, that's part of our profession of faith. We become covenant members of the church. We own our faith. And they who were baptized in this community, who this community has said, yeah, we're going to help raise, we're going to help lead to Jesus and talk about the promises we have in him. We're going to keep nourishing you and them in the truth that we get nourished in at this table. Right? They're now saying, we want to own that faith. It's amazing. Folks, I'm just scratching the surface. Think about the times where I've gotten cards of encouragement when Pastor Mary brought me to the hospital when I was 155 pounds. Yeah, that's not enough pounds for a six foot eight person. The moments when we've cried together, where we've laughed together, where we traveled the world literally together. When I think about the gift of biblical community, the church, according to the scriptures, this is the key relationship we all have other than Jesus Christ. Because we are his body. Before we are married, before we have our nuclear family, we are part of this body of Christ that's bigger than and foundational to everything in our lives. So this morning as we talk about this truth, as we talk about this practice and participation of being in a biblical community, I want to focus in on this adjective, biblical. What does this mean for us this morning? What does it mean to be a part of a biblical community? Because I would dare say sometimes the communities we're part of maybe do reflect that or don't. And in order to uh, think about this, we're going to focus on two verses. And uh, we're going to do maybe something a little bit different. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand with me. Uh, We have our scripture up on the screen. And I'd like to invite you to read these words of Jesus from John 13 this morning with me. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. You may be seated. Jesus wrote these words, spoke these words just after washing his disciples' feet. The God of the world would stoop down and clean muddy, sandy, stinky feet. And then he would tell his disciples shortly, I'm going to give my life. And Peter's, no way, no way, no how. <laughs> He's like, ah, Peter, you know, in all of this, I, I love you, but you're, you're going to deny me. <laughs> and by the way, somebody else, one of, one of this crew is going to betray me. But in all things and everything, what, what I, want to, I want to convey to you before all this happens, before all the crazy of the cross, we're in the first uh, Sunday of Lent, right? And Lent is meant to guide us towards the cross, meant to lead us towards a resurrection that we will celebrate on Easter, to ready our hearts and our minds to remember that we are dependent upon the grace of God. Jesus says, I give you a new command. In three times, two verses, what does he say? Love one another. Love one another. And then he goes on, if you don't know what love is, as I have loved you, love one another. So pull your shoes off. I'm going to start washing all your feet. 
I won't. I can serve you in a different way this morning. No, he says, and then what? Then by this, everyone will know. Not just those inside of the community of faith, those outside. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. What do we mean by love? Right, I think that's the next thing. What do we mean by biblical? Well, Jesus goes, if you're gonna be my body, the differentiating characteristic is this, love. Well, I don't know about you, but our world, I think, has a lot of definitions of love. How about affection? How about infatuation? How about an emotion? Right, love carries a lot of different things. Jesus, however, uses a verb. He says, I'm not talking today about necessarily how you feel or necessarily what you think. (laughs) I'm going to give you a way of being that would mark you as my followers. Love. Paul knew of this when he talked to the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was founded by Silas and Timothy, and Paul, um, being who he was as a, as a disciple maker and a mentor to Silas and Timothy, also cared about the church uh, in a much broader way and so would write letters. And, and the Corinthian church, I think, was much like modern-day America, like our day and age today, caught up in a lot of cultural um, identifiers and trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. is kind of radically different than what the world around us says. And, and so the community of faith, what Paul found out, wasn't actually living into Jesus's command really well. I, I, this came to my mind really because I knew we were having communion this morning. In 1 Corinthians 10 and 11, we find out that Paul is talking to a church that had the same kind of differentiating characteristics as the world. The rich prosper, the poor linger and get the scraps. The church, uh, around communion, they were having this meal together, and those who were wealthy, who really didn't have to work, were gorging themselves on food at the table. They were enjoying themselves, having a high old time, and then those who had to work all day, by the time they got to the table, there was nothing left, so they couldn't participate in this meal of God. Well, that doesn't seem like a community built on love, does it? No, and then Paul would actually write in 1 Corinthians 12 about how the, 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 the community also said, you know what, we, we tend to think that some people and their gifts are a little better than others. Right? Like, we can get rid of the pinky. We could certainly get rid of the piggy toe. Right? I got size 15 shoes. I can, the rest of my foot could work. Right, we, we start to value others highly, more highly than some. Right? And Paul says, no, this isn't the way in the church. And because Paul knows that we're really fallible human beings, that we're like Israel in the Old Testament, sometimes we get it, a lot of times we need some help. And because he knows Jesus' command to his disciples, what a real biblical community is, He then says, you know what, let me tell you about the most excellent way, love. Oftentimes we read 1 Corinthians 13 in the context of a wedding, but we forget that it was written to the church first. 
It was written to our primary relationship that would then inform all of the others. So this morning, I just want to look at some of what Paul says about love. Right? He says, first of all, that love is patient. Now, there's something pretty amazing about Paul's definition of love in 1 Corinthians 13. He almost sums up all of the other 59 one another commands that are found in the New Testament. You hear one another over 100 times, but there are 59 unique one another commands. In what he will say, including patience, he sums up all of this idea of biblical community, of what the church ought to be, of what Jesus says love is. Love is patient. I'm like, geez, Paul, why do you got to start there? (laughs) How many of you, when you pray for patience, God gives you a reason to be patient? Right? Paul would say at a later time, bear with one another. That a biblical community that loves one another puts up with one another. Right? We endure together. He'll say love is kind. Right? The kindness of God we know to be his grace. His unearned, unmerited favor, that the, co- that the community of God, a biblical community, one that loves others as Jesus has loved us, says, you know what, I'm not only going to be patient, I'm going to put up with you, and I'm going to need you to put up with me, but I'm also going to be kind to you, I'm going to be gracious to you, I'm going to give you an acceptance you maybe didn't deserve or haven't earned yet. And ironically, Paul will take both of these, the patience and the kindness, and in Romans 2, he'll infuse those together. And he'll say this, he says, you know what, it's interesting, don't judge one another, because the measure to which you judge, you will be judged. Have you forgotten the kindness, the forbearance, and the patience of God? Because it's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Right? Love is patient. Love is kind. I don't know about you, if we just stopped there, <laughs> we're challenged enough for the day. But Paul used 14 other words, so let's keep moving. <laughs> says, love doesn't envy. Envy oftentimes will confuse with jealousy, and it certainly takes jealousy within it. Jealousy goes, I want what you have. I'm a little, you know, like, why don't I get to have what you have? Envy goes a step further and says, you can't have it because I can't have it. But see, as people marked by God, we actually celebrate with each other's celebrations. We look at the blessings that you've received And I go, praise God for how God has blessed you. And you see the blessings that God has poured out in my life and you go, praise God for how God has blessed you. Because when we're a community together, we know that the gifts of God, not just for me, are also for you. They're not for me alone. See, Paul reminds us love doesn't envy It doesn't say, you know what, it's not about what you have and what I can't have and you somehow can't have it because, you know, right? Or man, I really want what you got. And that's all I, that's the only reason why I want to be in relationship with you. Because man, when I was a kid and my friend Brandon had Nintendo. 8-bit. 
We only had Intellivision. Anybody remember Intellivision? Right, that was the alternative to Atari. <laughs> Love doesn't envy. The next two, I, I think, kind of go hand in hand. Paul says, love doesn't boast, and love isn't proud. In the church, we're not about getting a big head. We're not about our self-righteousness. In the church, we don't say, look at me. Galatians, Paul says, be careful so that you don't become conceited. Because the church is we, not me. Think about the times in our lives where boasting and pride has gotten in the way of our relationships. Paul says this can't be the case in Christ's church. Why? Because Christ who earned the right to be proud, who earned the right to boast, would make himself a servant, even to death on the cross. Paul says in the community of faith, what it looks like to love one another means love doesn't dishonor one another. It means that we see the image of God in each other, even when we ourselves may not see the image of God when we look in the mirror. We honor one another in the church and in the biblical community. We don't strip each other of our dignity. Our sin does a plenty good job of that. Folks, we don't need to help. We need to look at each other, Paul says, in the way that Christ looked at us, that we were worth it. In the church, we say to each other, you're worth it. Paul reminds us that love isn't self-seeking. It's not about my agenda. Because again, it's we, not me. It's about what God has in store for us. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote uh, one of his best books. There's a tiny little book called Life Together. As he both journeyed before World War II and during World War II until he lost his life, he wrestled with what does this community of faith look like? And, and, and as he talked about self-seeking or agendas, he says this, those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community, even though their personal intentions may have been ever so honest, earnest, and sacrificial. Those who love their dream of a Christian community more than they love the Christian community itself become destroyers of that Christian community. Right, our agenda oftentimes for the church, how we are to be, a mute point because it's God's agenda he's the head of the church and when we put our agendas in the way we only end up creating more divisions and harm in Christ's body than help bring it together I don't know if I really like this next one this is a primary emotion in my life that I continue to work on <laughs> It's a friend when the world doesn't go the way I want the world to go. Paul says love isn't easily angered. I mean, we've talked about patience. We've talked about kindness. Um, but uh, James would go on to say, don't grumble against each other. 
And I'm like, oh man, just what I thought I could get out of it by going, if I could just. (laughs) No. It's not easily angered. Why are we surprised when each other sins? I mean, that's one thing for the world. They don't know any better, right? If they don't know Jesus, don't believe in the scriptures, okay, don't know any better. But seriously, we know better, and yet we know what are we made up of, folks? Sinners who are in need of a Savior, who are saints who still occasionally sin. And yet we're surprised when we come to life in a biblical community when we offend each other. And then we get really angry. And then we go, you know. Oh, wait, and that dishonor thing comes back up. And what's the scripture say? Don't slander one another. Anger is an emotion, yes. But as Paul says in Ephesians, we got to be careful what we do with it. Maybe we ought to not go to bed in our anger. And this brings me to the next point of Paul's, love keeps no record of wrongs. That we're a community marked by forgiveness because we have been forgiven. Jesus would say, be reconciled to one another. Peter, you prayed that this morning. We're reminded of a reconciliation and a forgiveness as we come to the table today. Jesus says, this is how I love This is how you are to love. We don't keep a record of wrongs if God says, I remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. What does that look like in our life together? It says love doesn't delight in evil. There are some times where I think in the church we think, well, that means we just got to put up with everything. We can't speak any kind of truth, which is the next one. It rejoices with the truth. No, actually, because we know about this sin part of our story, because we know about what Jesus has done, we're not afraid to actually confront it in the church. We're not afraid to actually talk about brokenness in the world and in our lives, in the decisions we make accidentally and on purpose. We don't have to run from sin and evil. We don't need to let it lay hidden underneath our rugs or or shoved in the corner closet or stuck in the bushes somewhere. We actually can bring it to light. James reminds us to confess our sins to one another. And then what? To speak the truth to each other, to teach one another, to admonish one another, to exhort one another. All these big, biblical, beautiful words that say, listen, we're not about evil. We're we're all about the truth. We want to thrive and flourish in God's truth. And we want to get away from the thing that has stolen God's life from us. But we're a community that's not afraid of dealing with the dark side as much as it deals with the life. Then Paul says this. It says, a community that loves, it always protects. What do you think we do when we support one another through our gifts to each other, our encouragement, our prayers, We literally have each other's back. That's what it means to protect. Sometimes we're willing to go first into the battle because we know our brother and sister isn't ready. 
We walk with them in the journey of life. We come up behind them to make sure nobody takes them from behind and shows, hits them with a cheap shot, right? But the community of faith, we protect one another. Again, it doesn't mean we always put up with the evil. That, that's not what it means. But our protection as much as going, hey, if this is wrong, let's lead you into life and let's walk with you patiently, kindly, graciously, and truthfully. Are you seeing the big picture of what a biblical community is, of what love is? It always protects. It always trusts. And it always hopes. Both of these together bring to my mind this. That a biblical community is one that believes in possibility in the face of reality. Jesus knew exactly who he was coming into the world for. Every nook and cranny of our lives, even though for us, they had not been lived. Every success and failure And yet he was willing to give us the gift of life, to entrust life to us. And he believed the best in us. Believed more in ourselves than we could ever believe. And still today believes more in us than we can possibly believe in ourselves. What do you think a community like that would look like? Not only to each other, but to the world around us. By this, Jesus says, what everyone will know, you're my disciple. To believe the best, not the worst. To believe in potential. To faithfully walk alongside of and with. And that brings me to the last two words. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. So I mentioned when I talked about my children, the community faith is a covenant community. It's a community that says, hey, we're in it through the good times and through the bad. We're in it in the ups and the downs. We're in it in the trials and in the celebrations. Huh, sounds a little bit like wedding vows, doesn't it? (laughs) Remember I said the biblical community informs every other relationship we have? This is one of the things we talk about, I I talk about with couples in premarital discipleship. It's just talking about the fact that, listen, you got to be a part of a church because in the church you don't get to pick your spouse, like the people that you're with. So learning how to forgive and be gracious and kind and generous, like marriage you get to pick the person. In a church you don't. So if you learn how to do it with people that you didn't pick, how well do you think you'll do with the people you pick? You may actually have a better shot. But see, a covenant loves, a stick-to-it kind of love. Tell me the world doesn't want to be a part of that. You're in it with me. You're not going to give up on me. You're not going to turn your back on me. You're you're not going to step out on me. Even when I, I do something that hurts you, you're going to forgive me? Are you kidding me? Now, I think for all of us in this call to biblical community, we're going to be working at this the rest of our lives. Amen? 
The day we arrive at what this community looks like in its perfection is when Christ returns in his fullness and sin is weeded out. However, the one who calls us to this community also empowers us now in it. Because eternal life wasn't just on a hill far, far away. Eternity is today. And we are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Where two or three are gathered in my name, so I am there. And so don't you think if Jesus says, love one another. As I have loved you, love one another. And by this, everyone is going to know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Don't you think he's going to invest all of his resources to helping us live into this? Amen? And he does. The Holy Spirit, God himself, the power and the presence of God can empower us to be the people God has called us to be. Folks, as we live into this, and I've already mentioned this, but I want to say it again. This is a witness to the world. We don't just share the gospel, and and, and don't get me wrong, we've got to be willing to share the gospel one-on-one with people, invite them to give their lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior of their life. Absolutely. But one of the main vehicles we do that is by our life together and just living it out in this world. That's not real heart evangelism then, is it? Wait, love each other? Be patient with each? Well, okay, maybe that's a little tough. <laughs> no, Christ has called us to a community as Paul had to write these words. Jesus, just after breaking bread, shares these words. A community where we are no longer divided. Where while we are different, our difference doesn't define us. Christ does. That it doesn't matter what side of the tracks you grew up on. doesn't matter the size of your bank account, your retirement account. doesn't matter which job you do, whether you're cleaning toilets, whether you're preaching behind a pulpit. It doesn't matter if you're bagging groceries or own the store. That in the, in, in the community of God, we, we accept our limitations and our fallibility and encourage each other into something more. Bill Hybels once said that the local church is the hope of the world. And it's not because he didn't believe that Jesus was. He just radically believed that Jesus was the head of the church and the church is the hands and feet of Jesus. The church is how the world will experience Christ's presence in the world. And so Jesus says to us, love one another. I'm really grateful for communion this morning because communion is how we get nourished in this love. Right? It's in communion where we're reminded of what we were baptized into. That we are forgiven and adopted children of God. That we have the empowering presence of the Spirit with us to renew us and cleanse us and to lead us into righteousness. And that we have a hope that everything we're working towards in life together 
will be true finally and fully one day when Christ returns. But today, we can have a foretaste of it. We can dive in a little. And we can be nourished both by the blood and the body of Jesus, his sacrifice, and be encouraged in a sacrificial way of living with each other. Let's pray. God, thank you, Jesus, for giving your life for us and to us. Lord, it's a hard challenge to love each other as you have loved us. But the good news is you have empowered us through your spirit. You will help us. And I think all of us have some stories, God, of how you've already done that where we've gotten to see your kingdom break in on earth as it is in heaven. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your kindness. And thank you for your challenge to us. Father, as we prepare our hearts now for communion, thank you that you have invited us to your table. It isn't me. It's not Darwin. It's you, Jesus. So it's come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, I will give you rest. It's at your table we're reminded of the beauty of a restored creation. And we're reminded that you empower us in this life to live in your kingdom, Jesus, to follow you and to be transformed by your grace. So Jesus, meet us in this place. Holy Spirit, make the reality of the bread and the juice real to us. Lord, we are inseparably one with you because of your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our celebration community or how to support Hardawike Ministries, please visit us at hardawike.com.